Which is really interesting. I want to dig into that for a second and see your opinion. And that is, is that what gives you the strength and the power, the willpower to not act on a desire? I mean, it's got to be God, right? Because Well, yeah, it's God, but it's also a certain underlying belief about your identity. He believes that he was called to something different, right? And so he he believes that God is the ultimate authority and that God has a better plan for him. And that plan does not include him acting on these desires that he has manifested. And so, Because acting on those desires is not who he really is. is. Right. Th- this is who he really is, but he has those desires. And so now he's like every other Christian under the sun, right? right. Yeah. He's not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. His, he and his, I have a lot in common. His struggle's different, but <laughs> yeah, it's still. It's different than mine, yes. but I have a lot of desires that yes. I have to not act on. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is a journey of faith that you have to go on. It's not something you can opt out of. It's not something that you just can't do. You're either growing or shrinking in your faith along your life's journey. And we want to be part of that growth because Mm -hmm. what you believe about yourself is one of the most important things about you. And if you don't know what you believe, then you really don't know yourself. (laughs) You don't know yourself. You're lost. You're confused. You learn who you are, especially (laughs) who you are in Christ. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do this without the salty pastor himself, Mm -hmm. Dr. Douglas Peak. Yes. Greetings, everybody. So good to be with you. Uh, Be a person of substance. That's what this is all about. And I'm glad you are on the journey with me the salty pastor we're just getting out there we're talking about real things in real life and teaching ourselves critical thinking skills in the process of how to navigate them absolutely and on tuesday we talked all about the uh, biblical principles in philippians chapter three three and uh three of those that really stood out to me were joy is important for the human soul Mm -hmm. Joy must be safeguarded, mm-hmm. and we must safeguard our joy by discovering our value in the righteousness of Jesus, not the self-righteousness of achievement, wants, or accomplishments that the world offers. Yeah, and I, I think that's really a significant one that on the day that we try to apply this to real life and what's going on in our society, that that's where I'd like to keep my focus mm. because it's so key. It, it really cuts to the the very core of your soul. And a lot of people don't think about this. Um, Most people in America, because the kingdom of this world is not self-aware, right? Right. One of the first things that that has to happen for you to come out of the kingdom of the world and into the kingdom of God is you have to become self-aware. And very few people actually ever become self-aware. As a matter (laughs) of fact, the New Testament calls this being deceived, the blind leading the blind. And what do you need to be self-aware about? Well, the, one of the things is the very um, nature of your soul. You know, your soul is driven to seek validation. You have to have a sense of value that your life is worthwhile. And the kingdom of the world invites you to fulfill this drive within your soul, this thirst mm-hmm. that you have. It, it, it wants to invite you to fill it with <clears throat> fame, 
maybe fortune. You know, it's like, well, my life isn't valuable unless I achieve certain things. Maybe I have power and influence. Right. Uh, I, I have accolades or acknowledgments. I have attention. I have focus. Um, I have relationships. I have friends. I have a successful career blank or marriage or whatever fill in the blank yeah fill in the blank the kingdom of this world invites you to fulfill your drive in these material things whether they be real things like uh stuff you know cars and houses right or experiences or relationships it doesn't matter what they are the kingdom of the world says hey fulfill this drive in these things but the one truth that always bubbles up consistently across the board throughout all human history is that the world always disappoints it never actually follows through you know you get people who say well i'll be happy when i get married and then they get married and what they're not happy i'll be happy when i get that job they get that job they adjust to it and what they're not happy. They're not happy. I'll be happy if I win that dance competition or I win that sports trophy or if I win that uh, uh, athletic, you know, the cup, you know, the Stanley Cup, or I win this or I do that. They win those things. They're not, not happy. happy. And so it's interesting. Oh, I'll graduate from college and get a job and start making money. And then they're not happy. So the world always promises, but the world never follows through. It promises one thing gives you something else. Mm. And I think the reason why it does that is because it wants to keep you from being self-aware, from sitting down and actually evaluating who you really are and what drives you. Right. Okay. So on the other hand, though, the kingdom of God is something radically different. It, it by its very nature, it is designed to give you life in a situation that's designed to steal your life. Mm. It wants to give you truth in a world that is designed to deceive you. It, the, it wants to protect you from the theft of life, you know, because Jesus said in John 10, 10, that the thief comes to steal and destroy, but I have come to give you life and life to the full. The, the kingdom of God is to help you discover the, the point and purpose of your life, to guide you in how to be a friend, to be a spouse, to love other people and treat people with dignity and respect. Kingdom of God's designed to guide you on how to build a family, right? How do you actually, you know, build a family and what do you emphasize so that your kids grow up to have the best opportunity to discover life in the midst of a world that wants to steal their life? Right. How do you protect your kids? So this principle is foundational, in my opinion, absolutely and unequivocally foundational to how you live each and every day in the kingdom of God and not in the kingdom of the world. So you must figure out, you got to figure this out. If you want to be a person of substance, you got to think about this and come to some type of conclusion. If you want to be a person of substance, if you believe your life is too short to be shallow, then this is the way to go deeper on your own life and self reflection. And what you have to figure out is, is, how does my righteousness, this sense of validation, value, self-worth, meaning and purpose come from knowing Jesus and not a righteousness that I am constantly trying to build on myself? We talked a little bit about this on Tuesday mm -hmm. and you brought up this principle about um, identity, right? Yes. And for instance, about whenever a person builds their identity on whatever that may be, or builds it around 
is what is helping them determine their righteousness, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. When they when they live in that style of life, they're using those things to justify their life and say, "This is I'm I'm yeah. righteous," or "I'm I'm, I'm seeking these things." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you try to build it on yourself, you're establishing righteousness on your own. Yes. But, exactly. But the goal of a follower of Jesus is to discover how to build a righteousness that comes from Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Because ultimately, we're really shaky ground to be building anything on, right? Because right. we constantly change our wants, our desires. You know, I wake up one day craving one thing and the next day craving a different thing. And it's like, how do I build a life on something that's so fickle and constantly changing, right? Yeah, exactly. But... What you're saying is if we really want to thrive and succeed and have a solid foundation for righteousness, we need to be looking to Jesus and have him be our foundation. Yeah, and that's what Paul said, you know, hey, I haven't already obtained this, right? He goes, I'm striving towards that. So we're in good company. If we're learning how to do it. Then, and Paul was learning. Then <laughs> And Paul was learning. We're in good company. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and that's part of why you can fail and keep going. That's why you can make a mistake and keep going. Because if your righteousness isn't based on what? Your own achievement. Then if you fail, it it becomes less of an issue right. in your value and your worth. You can say, I made a mistake. I can learn from my mistake. But that doesn't make me a bad person. I'm not defined by my failures. Mm. But if I'm building a righteousness of my own, I am defined by my failures. If I'm building a righteousness of my own, I am defined by my successes, and we have to compare those all the time. This right. is the whole notion of comparison, you know? Why, why do guys compare themselves with other people? Because there's a subconscious drive to build your identity on your own self-righteousness, mm, right? Yeah. I, and and the, the, we, we misunderstand the term self-righteousness. We, we think, oh, that person's so self-righteous. We say they're stuck up. Right. Or they're so they think they're morally better than us. But the Bible, that's not what it means. What it means is you're trying to determine your value on your you're trying to make yourself righteous, right, good on your own effort, Mm. you know, and that's a little bit different. And so I, I think this 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 idea is so abstract it's hard to really grab a hold of it, but I think everyone needs to think deeply on it because when you get it, it solves so many issues in your life. It's, it solves so many self-worth issues in your life. It's, it's, uh, it solves so many um, uh, bounce back from failure issues in your life. It helps you uh, overcome you know, not only mistakes, but it also helps you uh, in successes, be wise and mature, you know, and not become pompous or arrogant. Uh, the, the, the notion that you can build a righteousness of your own, you can make yourself this person that has high value purely on your own effort is a circular reasoning. Cause like you said, your own desires and your own drives sometimes betray us. Right. Right. And so what I want to do, is I want to bring in a little video that might help us clarify what Paul's teaching in Philippians, because it's a little abstract, but it's important to think deeply about because it solves so many problems. And it's a video of a guy who claims in his identity, he's making identity statements, right? And what he's saying is this, he's saying, look, I'm a Christian and I'm a practicing gay man. And he sees no contradiction in this identity. So let's play it and see what he has to say. And how can I, quote unquote, reconcile 
being Christian and gay. Here's a controversial take, though. Um, I don't really reconcile it because I'm just Christian. I believe in God. And I'm also gay. Because in the same way that most of you, I assume, are straight, it's the same way that I'm gay. In that I was born this way, and this is the way God made me. And then when you factor in how sexuality works, it being a hormone that your body releases when you see something that you're attracted to, it makes me ask the question, why would God make my body release this hormone if that hormone being released is going to innately condemn me to hell for eternity? Now, in response to that, people may say, oh, you might have been born gay, but you're not supposed to act out on those feelings because that's when you commit the sin. What I would say to that is our benevolent God would not make people have the capacity for love and then in the same vein tell them that them expressing said love is a sin because one of the biggest lessons that at least i've learned about christianity is that the world needs more people to spread more love and not hatred and yet it doesn't compute in my head that god would make a certain group of people to have the capacity for love and yet tell them to not act on said love and when i say Okay, so now you have this guy who's going to kind of comment on it on this little video, but I think what was interesting is that this guy has some basic things that we need to point out and discuss. Because what he's trying to say is he's trying to say, this is my identity, and it's okay. Mm. And you, you cannot make a moral case or a logical case or a biblical case against my identity, right? I'm, I'm gay, I have these feelings, and I can act out on them because God would approve of them. So on the one hand, he states he is a Christian because he believes in God. What I find interesting is that that's technically not what it means to be a Christian at all. You see, he, he doesn't ever talk about Jesus in his testimony. Now, that may be an oversight on him. Let's give him a little benefit of the doubt. But he says, because I believe in God, I am a Christian. Well, that's not really what he's saying, right? Because um, he talks about God but throughout his video. So I, I feel that's a little suspect. The second thing he does is he equates, I don't know if you know this, he creates sexual practice with real love. Right. You notice how he I does did, that? I did see that he had done that. <laughs> yeah. He he also believes that another thing, and this is an identity statement, and that is God created him with these desires. So he says, I have these desires and these wants, right? Right. So acting on them must be fine with God because God gave me these desires. So in essence, what he's doing is he's blaming God for these desires. Right. Okay. He does, he's not taking responsibility for the desires. Mm -hmm. So what, with that logic, you'd have to say that any desire that you have is God-given. Does anybody really want to go there? No, not at all. <laughs> well, yeah, because then you see there's no limiting factor, is there? Because what if a pedophile says, well, my desire to have you know sex with children and abuse them sexually is God-given. This is God's will that I do this. What do you say? No, you are in control of your own actions. Right? Well, this guy can't say that. Because his logic, see, there's no limiting factor. See, the, this is what's really interesting. C.S. Lewis makes this argument that really all you have to do is look at the way our brains kind of work and how we act that proves there is a God. And that is we're moral creatures, right? And not only are we moral creatures, we are also logical creatures. In other words, you know, we our brain can't function if we constantly adopt uh, contradictions and illogical things. 
um, we, our emotions won't follow. It do, we just don't work, right? Right. And so he says, now this is where the scientific materialist and the atheist really, really struggles because they're trying to say that, well, this came out of evolution because it was beneficial, but that's absolutely absurd. Mm. They're, what, what they're trying to say, their argument, and I, I won't get into that in, in this salty pastor, just uh, uh, look into the arguments, read them for yourselves. You'll find out that they really don't make any sense because they're completely circular. And there's a guy by the name of Alvin, uh, Plattinga. Dr. Plattinga is a philosophy professor at Notre Dame. And he wrote mm -hmm. a book where the conflict really lies. And he basically talks about, well, if you're a scientific, uh, materialist or atheist and an evolutionist, that's a contradiction. You can't believe both of those because they're logically incongruent. And he said, if you're a creationist or a theist and you believe in evolution, that's actually more logical than the other one, which is a fascinating book to read. That is, yes. <laughs> I, absolutely. I, you've talked about that book before and uh -huh. I uh, have still not read it yet, but I, I do want to pick it up. Well, back to this point where he says God created him this way. He's blaming God for his desires. And this is the equivalent of a married man who is lusting after another woman that, well, it's fine for me to lust after this woman. Biblically, lust is not a problem. Well, why? Because God created him with these desires, mm. right? Or the pedophile argument or any argument, you know? What, what about murdering somebody? You know, most murders are what? They call them crimes of passion, passion right? What is passion? He says... I. He says that passion is love. And how can said God not want him to express his passion? Right. You know, but also most murders are crimes of passion. <laughs> passion. Right. You know, this does the same logic apply to that. See, what happens is at first this guy, this young man says, hey, I can build my identity around this. No problem. But then what happens is when you really start scratching at it, you realize, yeah, that is not that is not logical at all. And so that becomes psychologically unhealthy. Mm. And, you know, I'm not trying to be uh, controversial. I'm just trying to be factual. And the fact of the matter is, is that people involved in same-sex relationships today, people who uh, that are gay, which are predominant, men are gay and women are lesbians, okay? There is a study out of Denmark, which is the most gay-friendly nation in the world. They've had gay marriage for almost 50 years, right? And they came out of there and they said the most unhealthy, toxic relationships that exist on the planet are lesbian relationships. Hmm. Girls and girls, same sex females, when they're in a relationship, those are the most psychologically damaging to both parties in it. They're very toxic. They're very cruel. And then they, they go on to say that uh, same sex relationships among men, gay relationships are really unhealthy because they're incredibly sexually promiscuous. There, there isn't there. There's the rarity of a monogamous gay male relationship is almost statistically non-existent. Uh, there was a movie that just came out uh, where this guy 
it was like a ro- rom-com, they call it, a romantic comedy mm-hmm. for uh, gay guys. And the whole point of the movie was these two guys were in love. And the the in the rom-com, what do you do? You know, it's like when it's a, a guy and a girl, they come together and then they want to get married, right? Right. Well, the end of this movie was, well, we're going to try to not have sex with other people for six months. What a... <laughs> okay. See, so so the 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 core value is is that love is sex, right? Okay, and so when you're trying to build that around your identity, you're you're trying to build your identity around that. You start scratching at the surface, and then you see all this. I, I read an article written by uh, a gay activist out of Seattle. And he wrote this article called, oh, it's close to 15 years ago now, 14 years ago. And he just argues, I have this article, um, he argues a point. He says, look, we have to come to terms in the gay community, especially amongst us. uh, And when he says gay community, he means guys. We just have to come to terms with the fact that our rates of depression and substance abuse is 10 times that of the normal population. And you can't say that, well, this is because the American society is prudish and doesn't accept gay activity. He said, look, gay activity has been active since the sixties, especially in San Francisco and hate Ashbury. And he goes where it's been the most accepted is where you have the highest rates of depression, anxiety, and drug abuse. Right. You know, and he says, this is international, not just in America. And so I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to be factual. And that is, is that when you try to build your identity around something that is false on the surface, it may sound good, but you scratch at a little bit and think about it and you go deep. Life is too short to be shallow. You go a little deeper. You realize, wow, this is so illogical and irrational that that's why it creates all of these things. A human experience cannot have in it this moral incongruency and this irrationality because your life just gets turned upside down. So I think this is really important to understand that, that what this guy's trying to do is he's trying to build an identity by first, not on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but on trying to have God from his rational standpoint, he's, what he's trying to say is rationalize that God approves of this because I'm already this way. I mean, I, it, it's interesting what people can convince themselves is true and then especially what they can build their entire lives on, mm-hmm. right? So in talking about this, this video we watched where this guy's like, well, God wouldn't have made me this way if... He didn't want me to be this way. He didn't want me to be this way and just... Again, he's making all of these assumptions about what God is calling him to do. He's like, right. well, I should be out sleeping with other men. It's like, well, no, you're not called to sleep with anyone outside of marriage, right? right? It's mm-hmm. like we all, especially as men, have these desires to sleep with women, but it doesn't mean we are constantly out sleeping with every woman that walks by. Correct. Right? So it's like he's he's making all these false assumptions and false premises of what God is quote unquote calling him to do and quote unquote made him to do. Right. Right. And so then him just kind of trying to like reason his way into, I just need to be able to do what I want. And then ending with where Christianity today just needs to be more loving Mm -hmm. of people, which is basically, don't tell me what to do. You should just love me and let me be what I want to do. Yeah. You need to affirm me for whatever I want to do. And I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating because I, you watch this video and 
um, the youth group watched a whole Christian sexuality video series, and they had a guy local from Boise who gave an interview about being gay mm-hmm. and a Christian, but he doesn't act on it. He says, I have these desires. I have this attraction, but I choose not to act on it. And he serves faithfully in a worship team at one of the churches here locally in Boise. And he's like, I have these attractions, but I don't act on them. So mm-hmm. I've just chosen to listen to what God has for my life rather than going on the base desires of my soul. Which is really interesting. I want to dig into that for a second and see your opinion. And that is, is that what gives you the strength and the power, the willpower to not act on a desire? I mean, it's got to be God, right? Because well, yeah, it's God, but it's also a certain underlying belief about your identity. He believes that he was called to something different, right? And so he he believes that God is the ultimate authority and that God has a better plan for him. And that plan does not include him acting on these desires that he has manifested. And so, Because acting on those desires is not who he really is. is. Right. Th- this is who he really is, but he has those desires. And so now he's like every other Christian under the sun, right? right. Yeah. He's not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. His, he and his, I have a lot in common. His struggle's different, but <laughs> yeah, it's still. It's different than mine, yes. but I have a lot of desires that yes. I have to not act on. Yes. So, I mean, it really frustrates me to watch that video after having seen this other guy's testimony and be yeah. like, no, one of these guys has got it right, and I'm going to leave it up to the viewers to, to make a decision about who I think is correct in this process. Yeah. Well, and I, I use this video because it really shows the principle as clearly as possible, because what you believe is one of the most important things about you, and he believes that God gave him sexual desires to be acted on for the same gender. Therefore, when he acts on them, he's morally right. He has rationalized or justified his action. And he identifies as gay. And he starts off the whole thing. He says, my identity is gay. So he's saying, my identity is built around the fact that I have sex with people of the same gender. And so he's built his identity around what? Is he built it around the righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ, or does he build it around his own self-righteousness? Right. He's see building how, it around himself. Yeah, see, so, see, what he's saying is, since I have these desires, they must be right. Okay, so therefore, right there, he admits right at the beginning of the video in his testimony, that he's building a righteousness of his own. Mm. And all he's doing is using God to try to make him feel better about his own decisions. This is, this is what, what Paul is saying. I have every reason to put confidence in my flesh. I have every reason to trust my desires and my wants. Because look at what my wants got me. They got me to the top. They got me my drive, my desires, my wants, you know. I became a Pharisee. And then he says, um, in regards to persecuting the church, he says at the very beginning of the chapter there, he goes, says what? I was a zealot. Right. I was more passionate about that. What? Okay. Zealotry and passion, similar word, same meaning. What? The, the connection here is unmistakable. Mm-hmm. In what he's talking about, this guy is building a righteousness of his own. Paul said, I could have built a righteousness of my own, but the bottom line is it didn't work. 
So whereas this guy is rationalizing his lifestyle choices, um, he then strays into what I would call, and this is what's so sad about this video, is the unpardonable sin territory. Okay. Mm. In, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus says, look, I tell you every kind of sin. Well, I, I like that. And every kind of slander can be forgiven. Okay. But blasphemy against the Holy spirit will not be forgiven. Okay. There's scholars that talk about various things about this. Most scholars say, well, first and foremost, it's denying that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. You reject Jesus. That's blasphemy of the Holy spirit because the Holy spirit came to testify that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Okay. But also if we look at the first commandment, you know, or second commandment, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Does that mean we shouldn't go around swearing and pretending that God's last name is damn it? No. <laughs> what he's saying is that when you take things of this world and then you attribute them to God, that's blasphemy. Mm. And that's what he's doing. He's saying my acts out here, God approves of them. That's blasphemous. Mm. You see, that is a dangerous place to be. I pray that that this guy will come to a knowledge of the truth. You know, Romans 10, one, where it says you have a zeal for God, but you lack knowledge. You don't understand what you're doing. Right. And until you get that, you're not going to ever discover what God has. So in order for us to be able to avoid the trap that this young man has fallen into, which was heartbreaking, um, this way of thinking is we have to experience Jesus firsthand, right? And we not only have to experience him firsthand, of course, he didn't say anything about Jesus. Then we need, not only do we need to know him, we need to know the fellowship, Paul says, of his sufferings in order that we can obtain um, or that we can experience the power of his resurrection. And I think that's what's so fascinating the way Paul phrases that is that there's the whole notion between this is the true way that you find freedom, right? By seeing Jesus's forgiveness of you and giving you value and making you right, as opposed to you attempting to rationalize your own decisions. There's a vast difference between those two, I think. Absolutely. Well, in our last couple of minutes that we have, Pastor, were there any final thoughts that you had? <laughs> well, yeah, I think, I think what this really points to is the whole notion, this entire gender fluidity debate that we are now in is all about identity. Those who are pushing this on our children start with the definition of what it means to be, be a human being that is faulty. That's why I say that, you know, what you believe is most important about it. And if you start with a definition of what a human being is, that that really can get you off track. Mm. Carl Truman, the philosopher, um, he says this is a psychological man. And basically what he says is due to Darwinian influence, Nietzsche's influence, Freud's influence, and a few other major philosophers, he says whatever a person believes they are, then that is what they are. I believe this is a very Gnostic approach to, to life. Uh, it's their feelings, their beliefs, their desires, like this man in the video, they build their entire identity on their desires and wants. And this of course is the opposite of Christianity. Christianity at its core is believing who God says you are. That's where it starts. God says, this is who I am. Do mm -hmm. I believe him or not? This is why Jesus said, well, if you want to follow me, you know, you buy stock in this and you invest in that bond and you can follow me. That's not what he said. You must deny yourself. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You see, the issue is my self-identity. What is it? And so it started with the sexual revolution in the 60s, which became the gay and lesbian revolution of the 70s, and then now is a transgender revolution that is trying to be ha- uh, being pushed out into our society. And people often ask me, why is it so prevalent today? It just, where did it all come from? Well, it's prob- primarily propagated in our public, the government-run schools. And this is how it happened. The Idaho School Board, we'll just use Idaho as a state uh, example. The Idaho School Boards Association is where they get all of these school boards, right? We're going to come together. We send a, a... uh, representative from I don't know how many school boards there are in Idaho, a hundred and something. Maybe. And there's a lot. And so what happens is they go to this thing and they talk, and then there's a national organization that says, hey, this is what we need to do to have better schools, blah, blah, blah. And hey, we want to create an inclusive and safe school. Who's going to say no to that, right? I agree with that. Do you agree with that? Agreed. Sure we do. Absolutely. So they say, well, here's this policy on this. And what they did is it was a possible a- Uh, a policy on gender identity and gender fluidity. And what happened is they got 60 school districts, 60 school boards to adopt their policy five or six years ago. And in that policy, it was pretty vague and not, we just want to be safe and happy and blah, blah, blah. And then what happens is each year they have an annual conference and this year it was up in Coeur d'Alene. And what they do is every year, you know what they do is they add words or things to that policy. And so you got these 60 school boards who say, well, we've already adopted this policy. Oh, this is the updated policy. Okay. What happens is that policy goes from two lines of we want safe and inclusive environment for all kids to, well, we now want to be able to say we want kids to use the bathroom that they identify with. And the other big thing in this policy is we want to be able to support and affirm a kid's gender fluidity without telling their parents. Mm. So, so this is where it's coming from. And I, I think it's, uh, it came to a head about two weeks ago over in Caldwell where they're debating the policy of whether or not to implement it. And so there's a lot of, it, it, this all goes back to this very issue is where do we build our own identity? And, and the people that want to propagate this and push this stuff on our children, they want from day one kindergarten they want to be able to propagate the definition of what it means to a human being on these kids and indoctrinate them into that so that when they're older and someone comes along and says, well, your identity can't be wrapped around your desires and your wants. And they're going to say, yes, it can. And you're a bigot for telling me it can't. Right. Well, thank you, Pastor, for sharing all of these ideas with us and, and challenging us to really think through where we're building our identity and what we're building it on. So um, I challenge you guys to have this conversation amongst your friends and family. Make sure you are spreading this um, thought and critical thinking skills. Ask good yes. questions. Ask good <laughs> questions because you might challenge someone who's living in a way that could be better um, if they just had the small prod of yeah. what are you really building your life on right now? Yeah, are what's you, really going to set them is free? Is it your career or yeah. are you going to do something that's actually going to end up in real true joy? So thank you guys so much for joining us. Make sure you join us on Sunday as Pastor Doug preaches, and we will see you next time on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings.